Hello, I am Heidi and welcome to Heidi's Lemonade Stand, where we talk to real people and share true stories of overcoming life's challenges. We are taking life's lemons and making lemonade. Thank you for joining me. Hi, Todd. Welcome to Heidi's Lemonade Stand. I can't wait to get to know you and hear your story. So start out by telling me just a couple of little things about yourself. Well, Heidi, I'm grateful to say I'm in recovery nowadays and now, nowadays, not just now, uh, 16 months in recovery. It's taken 35 years to get here. I'm 51 years old. I have children. I have a number of children and five grandchildren. And I'm newly married. I got married in November, November 11th, 11, 11, 22. She kind of wanted that date. And so those, yeah, those are just a few of the great things going on with me. That is good stuff going on, but you definitely have to take me back and tell me your lemon to lemonade story. It sounds like there's something there. It's a, it's a great one. It's a, (laughs) it's a great one. Um, I've had a good run on this world. Um, Born and raised in Salt Lake, uh, I really wasn't dissed lemons. The thing, the thing about my story is I was probably blessed with a fruit basket, and they kind of turned to lemons. So if, that, if you've ever heard, you know, something like that. I had great parents, um, both educated at BYU. Uh, I really, I really had a good childhood. You, you know, there was I was made to go to church, you know, things like that in Utah. And I was made to play the piano. And when I messed up on the piano, my dad would hit me on the hand with the ruler. And so, you know, those were little traumatic events, but it was it wasn't really that bad of a life. I mean, we grew up in upper Sandy, upper middle class. The only thing I had not going for me, Heidi, is I had red hair. And freckles and glasses. Now, growing up as a kid, that's not cool. It's not cool at all. I'm sure you never had a problem with your looks as a child. But uh, for me, yeah, I started, the the limits started coming when other kids figured out that I didn't belong. I was the ugly duckling. The ugly duckling started hanging out with the other ugly ducklings, and there was a few of them. And, uh, those kids, those ugly ducklings, those little lemons were uh, the way we fit in was where, where I was introduced to cigarettes and to alcohol and to marijuana. I was all within a year when I was 11, 12 years old, 11 years old. Shortly thereafter, I, um, with one of those friends a few years older than me, over a period of a couple of days, uh, stole 13 vehicles at 12 years old. This was, uh, you know, this was something a friend who I, you know, his sister's brother in Las Vegas had a chop shop, I think is what it was. And I was I'm 12 years old. I did, This would buy a lot of cigarettes and pot. I thought $500 a car. And here I am going to church on Sundays and just starting to rebel, though. You know, and that's kind of, and that's kind of how it started. It was scary um, getting slammed on the hood of a car in Nevada on a highway in Nevada by a, a Nevada Ranger at 12 years old. Even, but even in that scare and fear, I found it exciting. Now, that's sad to say, but I found some excitement getting in trouble like that. Going to Las Vegas DT was really scary. There was convicted cop killers there at a young, at, they were 16 years old. So I was scared. This is my first stint with getting in trouble. I continued down that path. And then, now, this is, you know, this is kind of what I mean by the fruit basket turning to limits. I, I made a lot of these choices 
that would turn these into lumens and what would I do with them? Um, there was a there was something that was out of my control that really affected me and our family at 14, 15, I think, so when I found out my dad came out of the closet. He came to my mom and it was me and my three sisters at the time. He came to us and said he's decided to live an alternative lifestyle and away we go. So here I am learning to be a man or at the age where you want to understand that you're becoming a young man and my dad is going to be with another man. And so I didn't understand that. I'm nothing against the community. I'm totally fine. Okay. without however, you know, anybody wants to live, but at that age, it uh, destroyed me. I rebel. I, I acted out. I rebelled promiscuous activities right there at a young age to prove that I wasn't that way. And it brought me the joyous children that I have as I started at a young age. And so, and I wasn't ready for them. I love my children and I put them through so much over the years. And I start, you know, I started at a young age. I, Grandpa from uh, central Utah came and took me from in St. George at the court date for, for those stolen cars because they were going to take me away from from uh, my parents you know they're if you're gonna this kid's gonna be out doing this you obviously can't handle them and so he did that and i mean my grandpa was my dad i'm heading down the wrong path and hanging out with the wrong children um i was growing up but i wasn't growing up i was uh, drinking smoking pot all all drugs literally cocaine um acid uh mushrooms things like that and it just it wasn't working. Mom told her mom was depressed. Mom went to sleep for a couple of years after that, never came out, you know, it destroyed my mom. And um, I had one sister, two years, my junior, that pretty much took care of our family. And I would go out and party every day. And my two youngest sisters were influenced by this. They ended up becoming addicts. So three out of four of my mom's children were addicts. Um, this went on and on. I dropped out of school at a young age, started working just so I could afford my uh, addiction, you know, to, to party, to these, these things were fun to me. You know, Nancy Reagan was touting on the TV, don't, don't do drugs, just say no, Mike, that woman is crazy. I like drugs and they make me feel good. And they can't be bad for you if they make me feel good. Lo and behold, they're bad for you. <laughs> uh, this would go on, jumping ahead a little bit, I'm just functioning, doing what I'm doing. Not real hard drugs, but drinking and just addicted. I'd end up uh, having a daughter up in Canada first before I met my wife, whom I had the rest of my children with, not living the right lifestyle. And uh, uh, I started framing homes, dropped out of school, started framing homes, and, and got pretty good at it in Salt Lake. There, framed a number of homes, probably over 400 homes in Salt Lake alone. And I did that, and I was a hard worker, hard worker. And... Um, there was a period of time one day or one weekend, I think some, I was with a couple of friends. We went out hunting, coyote hunting, I think we were doing. And uh, a friend had me snort this stuff and it was crank. It was an amphetamine, like meth. And that's when I was introduced to meth. I just started a construction company. I was having children with my wife. I had a couple daughters at the point, my two oldest at that time. And methamphetamine whoa i don't know how to explain it. i don't know if anybody can explain it and give it the justice that it doesn't deserve 
because when I did, you know, when I did it, it was like, I'm in love. My lemons are lemonade. We're talking about bright pink, sweet lemonade. Heidi, this, this was my thing. I found my love. I was, I fit in. I was loved. I was accepted. I was laughed with, laughed at, laughed about life of the party. It didn't matter. I could work 24 hours a day on this stuff. This was my thinking and it destroyed me within six months. I had lost a construction company, stepped away from my wife, was cheating on my wife, had a child with another woman while I was married, cheating on my wife, two children actually, and destruction, meth destroyed me. Now, this was a pattern that would start and um, the pattern became jail, jails. I, charges piled up, started going to jail, went first for a couple days, then a couple months. Then I got a manufacturing charge for making it because I couldn't afford meth. Meth was like worth more than gold back, you know, say, you know, in the nineties. And uh, I couldn't afford that. I lost my construction company. I wasn't working. I was, I was doing meth and um, I got sent to prison. Finally. I mean, they, they tried sending me to Odyssey house. They tried, sending me to these programs. I would go and walk out the back door. I'm like, that's not for me. I don't need to do what a judge tells me still, you know, like from 12 years old, I'm, I'm not doing what judges tell me. I don't even do what my parents tell me. So I had my own way of thinking, my own way of living my life. And even though it wasn't working for me, I was still doing it. This, these drugs that made me feel so well. And I, they loved me so much, right? The drugs loved me more than my dad who left me or more than, anybody who didn't pay attention to me because I had red hair and freckles and glasses. They, uh, I was hooked and I was hooked on meth and, and I went to prison for the first time for 22 or 23 months. And I, I got out and immediately went back to it. I'm like, whoa, dude, you just sat in there for two years and said, claimed, oh, you, you were done and I found God and I found this and I did drug programs in there and I did life skills classes and uh, it was still there. That monster behind me, all this stuff that I was putting behind me was growing and getting bigger. So the cycle would go on, Heidi, and um, the next time in prison, which was only a short few months later, while I was in there, I got a call over the button in the section and they said, come to the speaker, someone in your family's died. So that's an awfully cold way to tell me this. I have his own restrictions, couldn't come out of my cell, but they told me my 20-year-old sister had died. My baby sister, the one that I didn't influence as a good older brother, the one that I didn't look out for, the one that I condone drug use with, had died at a cold motel room in South Salt Lake, and that hit me hard. That was traumatic, very traumatic. And while I was swearing to her, her memory and to her, you know, her legacy that I never used drugs again, it was just destroying me. I didn't know how to deal with the pain, so I put it behind me. I got out of prison six months later. They wouldn't even let me go to the funeral because all the times I had not gone to court and ran from pro programs and stuff, I just wasn't fit to, for them to let me out to do so. And um, got out, was out a few weeks, a few months, I don't remember quite. It wasn't that long and end up going back. And then at this time, the state's getting sick of me. They're getting tired of my actions. This guy is, 
ungovernable. He doesn't want to get better. He doesn't want to do anything for society. So they give me another year or two and they, and then they terminate me. Well, during that probation, I had kept using and doing stupid things. And I ended up catching a federal charge <laughs> for manufacturing as well. It was an attempt to manufacture. So I was in state prison a week before I terminated and was done. I was going to be a good boy. I was going to be clean. The federal government came to me and said, Todd, we're indicting you on a parcel fingerprint on this and blah, blah, blah. Long story. But um, I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm a good boy. I'm going to go out and do good. And I wasn't going to realistically. I, I, I didn't, hadn't changed my ways of thinking. My, you know, my, my subconscious was still thinking, use, use, use. So two weeks out after they let me out, the, the federal marshals came and picked me up and indicted me. And I started a federal prison program. Um, same stuff, same stuff. I went and I went into the feds and while I was waiting for the, they call it Con Air. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie or you heard, but that's how they transport guys in the federal government, in the federal prison system. Um, I got that phone call again about someone dying in my family. While I was in jail. I'm like, who could it be this time? Please don't let it be my kids. Please don't let it be my mom. And it was my 16 year old daughter. And, um, she commits suicide and uh, 16 years old. And so I, here's how that that was my fault because I wasn't a good father to her. I walked out on her. I, I was cheating on her mom. I started using meth and she saw this. And so here in my mind, I'm thinking that's my fault. So here, this goes into my bag of shame and guilt and remorse. And this seems this bag's already too big to carry anymore back here. I can't carry this anymore. It's too much for me to carry. It, it had been a couple of years and I got out and I used to get. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm literally, I don't want to live anymore. I, at this point, I'm done living. I, I can't figure out how to live a life, a joyful life, a life of freedom. I never thought that that compulsion would ever be taken away. It was just so strong. And there was so much guilt and shame that I, I just couldn't see my way through it. My kids grew up while I, while I was in the prison. They all grew up while I was in prison. There were times while I was out, I would see them, you know, here and there. And they, it just became like they knew their dad was a screwed up drug addict. And, they, and that's what they were left with. And they were fatherless. And that's, to this day, is very shameful to me. And one constant in this is my mom never gave up on me. my mom and family never gave up on me my mom would come to the prison and visit three times a week they would shake her down and search her and let kind old lady right they would make her take her bra off and just weird things like this because it showed in a metal detector you know and and she would go through this and, and she was there for me the whole time and i my poor mom three out of four children drug addicts um she buried her youngest because of drugs and the things I'm putting her through and we put her through and this just goes on. And I, I end up for a number of years uh, bouncing around, the grass is greener on the other side, you know. I, and if, it was, if meth wasn't bad enough, I found this stuff called bath salt. I don't know if you've ever heard of bath salt. It's, uh, it's not the stuff that your grandma had on her counter in the bathroom when you you know we were kids you know not the cute stuff like that it's a it was a designer name to sell 
the stuff in, in smoke shops and stuff. And what it is is a it's a synthetic cathinone. It's a long story, but it's an amphetamine. And it's strong, it's if you look at it like meth, it's probably 50 times stronger than meth and cocaine put together. So I ran into this, and if I thought I was in love with meth, I was so ready to cheat on meth with basalt that this was my hallelujah days. This stuff was going to save my world. It was really going to kill me, and almost did. I started using this, and it got real bad. I started hanging out with some real shady characters. Uh, we were doing real shady things, destroying my community. I was bad, and, uh, and I was running for myself, and I was running from all this stuff, and I was running from the choices I made, choices other people had made for me as a kid that I would keep using as an as a excuse to do this, which I wasn't acting an adult, you know, and, and I just couldn't see through any of this. And it came to a head in 2017, I was in a vehicle with a friend of mine when he got out and shot and killed somebody while I was in the car. An innocent person. Now it was a gang, it's a gang retaliation. I wasn't involved in gangs. I, I was good with all the gangs. I, I sold them all drugs. That's all they wanted for me. But this was scary, Heidi. This was there's still a lot of trauma and PTSD from it that I worked through till this day and guilt, complete guilt not only an eye-opener but it was like what are you doing with your life Tom? and this three innocent victims now of your choices of which i believe my daughter and sister were victims of my choices you know i'm a, i've worked with that now i know that they made choices to do what they did but i still hadn't dealt with the obsession and the compulsion to use i didn't i didn't know how to deal with that Nothing had ever worked for me. I didn't think everything, anything would ever work for me. I prayed to God to take that away. Not, not completely like leave it there when I need it in case I need it. You know, so I was on, I was still on the fence even after all this. And after sitting in jail straight for two years and uh, I was broke down, I didn't want to get out and live. I was shameful. I was, I felt guilty that I'm alive and this other person wasn't. My friend's gone to, prison for life now um what do i do with all this now i was ready to quit and um i went to odyssey house for a year and even after there there was i still had a a, a slip and i ended up in the hospital with a ventilator tube coming out my mouth and my they called my family and told them to come say goodbye to me i'm gonna die after one slip, after being sober, and so, and I didn't know the things that were going on in my body at the time. Even Odyssey couldn't fix me. I thought they could fix anyone, right? There, that's a tough program, and I'm, I'm, I know most of most everybody who runs it. There's still something missing, and it, it wasn't until I went down to a place called Matter in Mount Pleasant. It's about it's a holographic human technology, is what it is. And it's about quantum level healing, just uh, quantum physics. It's about your subconscious and why this guy up here and what he does. And this guy on my shoulder tells this guy to do these things. And it wasn't until I went down there and started doing these guided imageries and technique and, and programming my on top of these old programs in my mind. Because these old programs, are, my best thinking was getting me nowhere.
I had to come up with a different program. And this program, after 35 years of addiction, was starting to make sense to me. Things were starting to change in my mind. I would do a technique and I would go out and I would talk to God and, and I closed my eyes and I got these downloads and I could see through the universe that we were all, just going to sound weird, but stay with me, we were all connected to Aussie energy, right? And when I made a bad choice or poor choice, it affected the whole universe. And we all, and that's how our choices affect people. When I made a good choice or when I prayed for someone, the same thing happened. It, it, it goes out with God's, with divine intervention, right? This is what, this gives me chills talking about it because I finally realized that my thoughts and actions were affecting not only my family, friends, loved ones, community, the whole universe, right? Somehow. Everyone's involved when someone commits a crime, when someone uses drugs, when someone is in the hospital. There's so many people called to the, the scenes of those incidents, and they're affected by it, and their family's affected by it, and so on and so on. And I didn't realize how I fit into my community life. I was an, I was an outsider. I was a black sheep. I didn't belong in any sort of community like that, family. And so when I finally started figuring this out and doing Janie's techniques, I was like, wow, this compulsion started to go away. And then they suggested, they're, they're, they also followed the 12 steps, you know, because we need a, we need a support group, you know, I, this is how we do it. And I, uh, I got a sponsor who had gone before me in the same streets as Sandy in Midvale, who has 13 years of sobriety now, Damien Trujillo, I'll give him a shout out. And he's worked the steps with me. And I started getting this thing, Heidi, I'm like, Wow, he said, as soon as you work these steps, you're going to be free, Todd. How free do you want to be? I said, I want to be free. And I'm free today, Heidi. Now, this doesn't take away that life still happens. Let me tell you what happened just barely two years ago. After I'm, after I'm free and I'm in sober living in Draper, Karen Coons is sober living, and I'm living my best life. I'm working at Wasatch Recovery. I'm working with people. I had a little... Episode in a Harmon's grocery store in Draper, and I thought I was having a heart attack. First thing I thought was, at least I'm not in Walmart. Please don't let me die in Walmart. <laughs> I didn't die in Walmart. I didn't die in Harmon's. I got diagnosed with cancer six months prior to that. Non Hodgkin's lymphoma. And uh, I'm sober. I got diagnosed with cancer. My God, I did not get sober to be your warrior and get cancer. I'm not going to die. And they told me I was going to die, but it wouldn't be today that I would die from it. I can tell everybody gratefully today. I don't have cancer. I'm in remission. Um, there are scenes that I've done just amazing miracles. The thing in Harmon's happened a month after I've got, I got found to be in remission. I've done my last chemotherapy treatment. And the thing about this is how did I use through all that can? How did I use through the whole time I was going through cancer? Done anything? I had an aneurysm in my aorta that would have exploded, and I wouldn't have made it to the hospital. I ended up having to have open heart surgery. I won't show everybody the scar, but it's there. So I have a cow heart in me. I move now a cow aorta, so I go move. <laughs> and these are my blessings. These are my lemonade. I'm a cancer survivor and an open heart surgery survivor, all in the past eighteen months. And I'm still alive. And I get to share hope with people. And I go to see the homeless people in Salt Lake because those are my people. And I work with outreach programs in Salt Lake because 
I remember being there. And when they tell me, God bless you for doing this, it means a lot to me because God has blessed me. I have a, with those children and those grandchildren, my grandchildren will never see their papa messed up. They are my life. I take them fishing. I see my, you know, my kids love to fish. I did instill that in them. My children are where you have a shaky, albeit great relationship. You know, some days are better than others. They're still drama. They're still growing. I sponsor guys now. Um, my sponsor was amazing. He taught me a lot. He gave me hope. He went to prison like I did, gang violence. Like you, I'm just about wanting to spread hope. You know, what you do, and I've watched your podcast and the people you work with, and it's about spreading hope. You know, I don't know if I'm helping anybody. I hope I am. I'm helping me. That's it. That's the thing. I'm helping me to be the best guy I can be today. I'm a right guy today. I'm not that guy that you have to worry about in your neighborhood. You can leave me with your children. I love children. You know, children come up to me. Dogs and children love me. I don't know why. Just how I am, you know, and it's, it's awesome to be a right guy today. You know, it's awesome to be able to tell somebody I'm going to do something and I do it. And those are just, that's not to mention, I've got married to an amazing wife who is a seven time author right now, a doctor of natural medicine, clinical psychologist, directs a, a recovery center here one day a week. And I live in a beautiful house. I don't live in a prison cell anymore. I have my own office and she's hooked me up with three writing authors and including Bridget Birch Cook, um, Richard Paul Evans, and Angie Finnamore, who I'm writing a book with and to, to tell all this grandiose story that I have that's really crazy. I don't know what else to say. That's about it. <laughs> my, life, my life is amazing today. I don't deserve I, the life. I, I do deserve the life I have, but I, but I didn't live deservingly of it. I got one more chance than I deserved. I, I, I think all of us in addiction who are still alive got one more chance than we deserve. Wow. And that's all I can say. My life is a miracle. It is a miracle. And I love that you're embracing the miracle and now you're sharing that. So what's some advice you would give and just kind of encourage someone else? Don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> so no, it's not. Um, my, my advice to live every day like it's your last. Love everybody unconditionally. I don't care what they do, what their skin color is, how they act. Love everybody unconditionally and be integral with your word. Mm. I don't know why those came out, but um, I see my my wife and I. I was learning in the in the matter program and with my wife now. I've I've learned how to raise my frequency. When you live in a higher spirit and a higher frequency, you attract that, and things go so much easier. When you can love unconditionally, when you reach out to pick someone up, never look down on anyone unless you're giving them a hand to pick them up. You know things like that. My and that all gives me chills. It's just, it's amazing. I don't. Mm -hmm. I can't even tell you the miracles that happen to me daily, every day. Such you know? a gift. Yeah, such a gift. I love that you recognize this and you appreciate your life now. I think this is a beautiful message that you are sharing. And I appreciate you being so vulnerable and sharing such crazy things that have happened to you. But where you're at now 
and the spirit and that vibration that you are emitting now is a beautiful thing. It's an amazing gift that you're giving to those around you to encourage them and keep going. And I just, I love your message. So thank you. It's amazing. It's been an honor being on here with you. It's deeply, I enjoy what you're doing and your work and you're doing an amazing job. Keep it up. You too. <laughs> I love what you're doing and keep using your voice. I'm so excited for this book you're working on because we need that reminder that I love how you even said that your life was actually really great, you know, and you kind of made the choice to turn that great fruit basket into the lemons. And I think that's a powerful message that we need to realize that it is our choice and that we can change again. You, you made a choice again to embrace your life and enjoy it and live the best you can. And I, I love that you're able to do that. Yeah. We're all literally just a few, a couple poor choices away from going completely one way or the other. Yes, we are. You know, and it, and it works that way. And I, I've, and experiencing that, it's it's testified to me that 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 I can do this. You know, so proud of you. Thank you so much. Thank you. enjoyed spending this time with you. You might have a friend struggling with the same thing that we talked about in this episode that might enjoy listening to this too. So please share this episode because no one is alone at the lemonade stand.